Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. In today's brief, we'll talk about progress near Bakhmut, assassination attempts and bridge pylon number 145. I'm Linnea, and today is Monday, July 17, 2023. You're listening to the Ukraine War Brief podcast, where we bring you up to speed on the war in Ukraine in about 20 minutes or less. Let's get started with the news in Ukraine from the front. According to the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, Russian forces made unsuccessful attempts in the Liman direction, in the Bakhmut direction, Ukrainian forces reportedly repelled attacks near Orikhovo-Vasilivka, Kriurivka, and Ivanivske. The GSAFU reported that Russian forces attempted to recover lost positions near Kurdyumivka and were entirely unsuccessful. Ukrainian forces maintained positions near Marenka and Staromayorska in the Donetsk Oblast. In Zaporizhia and Kherson regions, Russian forces were focused on preventing Ukrainian troops' forward movement, depending heavily on aviation and artillery. Ukrainian forces continued offensive operations toward Melitopol and Berdyansk. Ukraine's Deputy Minister of Defense, Hanna Malyar, said on Telegram that the situation on the Eastern Front has escalated, noting that, quote, for two days in a row, the enemy has been actively advancing on the Kupiansk Front in Kharkiv Oblast, end quote. Ukrainian forces have advanced more than a kilometer on the Berdyansk front, according to Valery Shershin, spokesperson for the Joint Press Center for the Tavria Front Defense Forces. Ukrainian forces have also reportedly exploited gaps in Russian defenses in Klishivka, south of Bakhmut, catching Russian forces off guard with a pincer movement attacking from two sides, clearing major fortifications, and establishing positions key to disrupting Russian supply routes in the area. According to the Institute for the Study of War, or ISW, Ukrainian forces made 9 to 15 kilometers of gains near Andreevka, just south of Klishivka. Russian sources claim that Ukrainian forces have retaken Staromayorska in Donetsk Oblast, but there haven't been any official or visual confirmations of a Ukrainian presence in the settlement. Russia lost another officer, well, on June 4th, but it was just confirmed by AFU officer Anatoly Stefan, callsign Stilitz, who announced on Telegram over the weekend that, quote, the commander of the 96th Separate Reconnaissance Brigade, Nizhny Novgorod, Colonel Maxim Kharlamov, is successfully demobilized, end quote. No further details were included. Moving on to the home front, Russian forces launched multiple mortar and artillery strikes in northeastern Ukraine, hitting more than 20 settlements in Sumy and Kharkiv regions, including the city of Kharkiv in three separate attacks throughout the day on the 16th. The mayor of Kharkiv, Ikhor Terekhov, reported that the city was believed to have been attacked by S-300 anti-aircraft missiles, striking the downtown area and injuring at least seven people in the Osnovyansky district, with unconfirmed reports of one death. 
Andriy Yermak, head of the Office of the President, wrote on Telegram that Russian forces attacked Stepnohirsk in Zaporizhia Oblast with grad rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, on July 15th, injuring three people. Bereslav Rayon was hit with two guided aerial bombs in the evening of July 16th, according to the Kherson Regional Prosecutor's Office, killing one person. Deputy Minister Malyar said on Telegram that after Russia's full-scale invasion on February 24, 2022, Ukrainian society rapidly mastered how to disclose information during the war and, quote, learned very well, end quote, to distinguish fact from Russian disinformation, adding, quote, we are the pioneers of a completely new quality of information warfare. Nowhere in textbooks or during training is it told how to prepare for this, end quote. The Ukrainian Armed Forces reports it used U.S.-provided HIMARS to destroy the Russian S-400 missile system that was used in the June 27th strike on a restaurant in Kramatorsk that killed 13 people, including three children. A 59-year-old man in Kherson reportedly died after trying to disassemble an explosive which then detonated in his garage. Kherson Oblast Governor Oleksandr Prokudin wrote on Telegram, quote, I remind you that demining of territories is the work of professionals who know how to resolve such situations safely. Therefore, if you see explosives, do not risk it, but contact the rescuers or the police. End quote. South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol and First Lady Kim Kyun-hee made an unannounced visit to Kyiv over the weekend, visiting Bucha and Irpin, and laying a wreath at the military monument before meeting with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. President Yoon announced that the Republic of Korea will be increasing the amount of military and humanitarian aid provided to Ukraine before the end of the year. In the temporarily occupied territories, explosions were reported overnight on July 15th and 16th in Sevastopol in occupied Crimea. Head of the occupation government of Sevastopol, Mikhail Razvozhayev, claimed that Russian air defense repelled a drone attack. The Kerch Strait Bridge, also known as the Crimean Bridge, was attacked again on July 17th. The bridge connects the Taman Peninsula of Russia's Krasnodar Krai to occupied Crimea's Kerch Peninsula and is a major ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that is a supply line, for military and civilian occupiers of Crimea and beyond. The bridge has a two-lane highway and a parallel two-track railway, and at 12 miles or 19 kilometers long is the longest bridge in Europe. The Security Service of Ukraine, or SBU, that's the Ukrainian Intelligence Service, claimed responsibility for sending unmanned surface vessels, or USVs, to attack the 145th pylon at 0304 hours and 0320 hours local time. Satellite images and videos from the rail bridge show the surface of the bridge at the time was undamaged, validating claims of a USV or drone attack on the pylon. Two Russian civilians were killed and their child was injured as a result of the attack. To be clear, we don't believe the attack deliberately targeted civilians, evidenced by the middle-of-the-night timing and the fact that the bridge is internationally recognized as a legitimate military target. Russian Deputy Prime Minister Marat Husnilin said that one part of the road bridge is completely destroyed and cannot be restored. As of the time of recording, the bridge has been reopened, converting the remaining road span to accommodate traffic in both directions. 
Russian authorities claimed after the truck bomb attack on the bridge in October 2022 that the railway would be repaired in full by July 2023. Well, it's July 2023, and the railway structure is still operating under, quote, light rail. The railway side of the bridge does not appear to have sustained additional damage. Explosions were also reported in the occupied cities of Luhansk, Berdyansk, and Mariupol on social media on the morning of the 16th. That's not all, though. Ukrainian Armed Forces Stratcom, that would be the Strategic Communications Department, reported that a Russian rocket storage point was destroyed in the village of Yuvilene in Luhansk Oblast on the morning of the 16th. In an interview with Newsweek, Tamila Tasheva, permanent representative of the president of Ukraine in the Crimean Autonomous Republic, said that Ukraine will take a flexible approach in dealing with potential Russian collaborators in its planned liberation of Crimea. Planning for the potential reintegration of roughly 2 million people living under occupation on the peninsula since 2014, Kyiv expects to blacklist approximately 10,000 Ukrainians who have collaborated with Russian authorities but will not punish those who are deemed, quote, victims of the occupation. If you're enjoying the episode, please rate us and leave a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to reach out to us via email at social at borlingen.media. That's B-O-R-L-I-N-G-O-N dot media. Speaking of victims, let's talk about the Russian Federation. Seven members of Russian Nazi extremist group NSWP were arrested in Moscow after allegedly plotting to assassinate Russian propagandist extraordinaire Margarita Simonyan and TV presenter Ksenia Sobchak, according to Russian state news agency TASS on July 15th. All of the individuals detained were reportedly under the age of 23, four of them under 18. Over the weekend, the Federal Security Service of the Russian Federation, or FSB, claimed that the Ukrainian secret services had been plotting the assassination attempt. Several Russian sources reported on July 15th that Major General Vladimir Selivirstov, a division commander of the 106th Guards Airborne, was dismissed by Russian leadership. According to the Institute for the Study of War, or ISW, the reason for Selivirstov's dismissal is unknown, but Russian sources speculated that it could be, quote, associated with Selivirstov's reputation for speaking up on behalf of his soldiers, end quote, noting that his dismissal could be part of the ongoing purge of Russian military commanders seen as insubordinate and, quote, may suggest that the corrosion of the Russian chain of command in Ukraine is accelerating, end quote. Russian president-slash-dictator Vladimir Putin continues to lie about the Russian Federation Armed Forces' use of cluster munitions, even after military and Western analysts have repeatedly proven that Russians shelled Ukrainian territories with cluster munitions, in particular on cities and other civilian areas. Putin also continues to push the narrative that the Ukrainian counteroffensive is failing. A large convoy of trucks and cars with Luhansk and Donetsk People's Republic's license plates was seen in Belarus, believed to be members of the private military company, or PMC Wagner Group, the convoy was accompanied by Belarusian police. According to British intelligence, some PMC Wagner-associated social media groups have resumed activity, reportedly focusing on highlighting the group's activities in Africa 
And recent announcements by Russian officials indicate that the Russian Federation is prepared to accept that Wagner will maintain its extensive presence on the continent. The ISW noted that the rhetoric used by Putin regarding Wagner indicates that he wants to keep PMC Wagner as a fighting force, just without Yevgeny Prigozhin. A Russian Su-25 crashed off the coast of Yeysk in Krasnodar Krai on July 17th, with video showing the pilot ejecting about three seconds before impact. After about 17 seconds, the pilot lands in the sea, where he reportedly broke both his legs, became entangled in his parachute, and died. Search and rescue helicopters were filmed trying to rescue the pilot. We cannot confirm whether he succumbed to his injuries, drowned, or was eaten by a shark. It was probably not the shark. It's just a guess. Just a wild guess. In European news, Bulgarian President Rumen Radiev slammed Ukraine to journalists on July 14th, claiming that Kyiv, quote, insists on waging war, end quote, while, quote, Europe pays for everything, end quote. Quick question. President Radiev knows that Russia invaded Ukraine and not the other way around, right? Because I'm pretty sure the only forces that have invaded Russia in the last year and a half are Russians. Ben Wallace, the UK Minister of Defense, announced his intention to resign, citing the toll his position has taken on his family. And nothing at all to do with the fact that he was passed over for Secretary General of NATO. Hmm. The World Health Organization, or WHO, European Regional Office in Copenhagen, hosted the launch of a project funded by the European Commission's Service for Foreign Policy Instruments, The project will reportedly provide technical and resource support to the Ukrainian Ministry of Health, the Medevac Coordination Unit, and the Emergency Medical Services. Let's talk about the news worldwide. Nine years ago today, Malaysia Airlines flight MH17 was shot down by Russian-controlled forces while flying over eastern Ukraine. All 283 passengers and 15 crew were killed. A Dutch court ruled in November 2022 that the plane had been intentionally struck with a book ground-to-air missile. Four people were charged with murder. First, Sergei Lubinsky, former major general of the so-called Donetsk People's Republic, or DPR, People's Militia's Military Intelligence Wing. He was an intelligence officer in Russia's Military Intelligence Branch, or GRU, in Chechnya and Afghanistan. Dubinsky is on the run after facing fraud allegations in 2019. Second is Leonid Karchenko, the only Ukrainian national who reported to Dubinsky and helped launch the missile that downed the plane. Third is former FSB officer and genocidal maniac Igor Strelkov-Girkin, who was the highest military leader of the DPR People's Militia. The fourth suspect, Oleg Pulatov, was acquitted at the trial. He was arrested and imprisoned in the so-called Luhansk People's Republic, or LPR, in 2018, then released. Malaysia Airlines had to pay 16.5 million euros to the families, that's about 145,000 euros per family, under the Montreal Convention. United States Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen told reporters at a G20 summit in Gandhinagar, India, that, quote, ending this war is first and foremost a moral imperative, but it's also the single best thing we can do for the global economy, end quote. 
A coalition of nations formally agreed at the NATO summit to train Ukrainian pilots to fly F-16 fighter jets, but instruction can't actually begin until the U.S. State Department formally approves the transfer of instruction manuals, flight simulators, and other materials, which hasn't happened yet. Jake Sullivan, White House National Security Advisor, promised the coalition would receive all the tools needed for training to start in a few weeks. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa reportedly requested that Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov attend the BRICS summit instead of Putin, according to Vice President Paul Mushatile, who said, quote, We understand that the Rome Statute binds us, but we cannot invite someone and then you arrest him. We would be happy if he did not come. End quote. It's really awkward. Predictably, Moscow refused, and there are reportedly discussions taking place over a number of alternative options, including Putin participating via video link and the transfer of the meeting to China, to which Brazil and India are opposed. Let's talk military tech. According to the Washington Post, Ukraine has received less than 15% of the demining and engineering equipment it's requested from the West. Areas between 5 and 16 kilometers deep have been densely mined with anti-tank and anti-personnel mines, and the lack of mine-clearing equipment has almost certainly slowed Ukrainian forces' progress in the counteroffensive. The Swiss-German remote-controlled demining machine GCS-200 is already in use in Ukraine, however. The GCS-200 can perform mine clearance at a maximum rate of 12,000 square meters a day, at a speed of between 0.8 kilometers per hour and 2.3 kilometers per hour. That's the brief for today. Remember to check your sources and don't fall for propaganda. Join us on YouTube and TikTok for more Ukraine content and live news reports. And please consider supporting our work on Patreon. You'll find the links in the description. We'll be back tomorrow with more updates. Until then... Stay safe, everyone.